What's up, snobs? Shane here. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Film School Snob Podcast. With me, as always, my co-host, Michael. Michael, what have you been watching this week? This week, I binged the Netflix documentary, Arnold. It's all about the life of bodybuilder extraordinaire Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it fired me up, dude. It was good. It was really good. This guy's wild. Like, as a native Californian, I'm pretty familiar with Arnold. I'm sure, like, older boomers are familiar with him, but I feel like the younger generation probably doesn't know much of him other than, like, typecast tropes of his voice and lines. His story is absolutely insane. Like, he came from a really impoverished part of Austria and just decided, you know what? I'm going to be the greatest bodybuilder of all time. I'm going to go to America and do that. He literally just does it. No, like, he just does it by himself. And then he is the greatest bodybuilder ever. Like, in the documentary, it shows him going on stage at, like, Mr. Olympia, the biggest competitions in the world. And it doesn't... It's not even close. Like, he looks... It would look as if, like, everyone else was on steroids and he... and Everyone else isn't on steroids and he is. Like, it's so crazy how big of a disparity it is. And then at the height of just winning and winning and winning, he's like, uh, I'm done. I'm gonna go become the biggest movie star in the world. I think I want to do that. And then he just does, despite being a horrible actor. He just becomes the biggest, best, highest paid movie star in the world. And then at the height of that, he says, uh, I'm over this. I'm just gonna become the governor of California. And he does it. And it's just one of, it's like one of the craziest stories ever. And the documentary is told really, really well. I would definitely highly recommend. It goes deep into his scandals. And I really like the way that they portrayed it, the way that he, he's very honest about it. Highly recommend Arnold. I think Arnold is the only like comp I think is The Rock. And I think both of them have done this really smart thing where neither of them are like, you know, classically trained actors or, or even especially good at acting, but I think they play to their strengths so well. Like, I never watch an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and think, like, ah, I th- get this guy off the screen. Like, he doesn't, <laughs> he shouldn't be in there. Like, I just like seeing him on the screen. He has this natural charisma, yeah. and I think he's picked roles and makes choices as an actor that play to that strength instead of, you know, ever finding himself over his head or, or out of his depth. Yeah, they're just, for some reason, kind of lo- lovable in a weird way i don't know if it's their size or what it is like i can't really pinpoint what it is even in movies like jingle all the way where his size doesn't really have anything to do with the movie he's absolutely atrocious but it's for some reason like endearing yeah like i would not want that movie made with somebody else even if they might have better (laughs) comedic timing or like he just he's very watchable same thing with The Rock. I never watch a Rock movie and be like, ah, oh, I wish it was somebody else. No, it, I'm always glad it's The Rock because it's always fun whenever he's on the screen. What have you been watching, Shane? We are just a couple months away from the Oscars, which is my favorite time of the year. It, Oscar Sunday is one of the best days of the year for me. We're going to give you so much Oscar coverage leading up to the awards. This is really like the beginning of awards season. And I'm super excited for it. And so I have decided that leading up to the Oscars, I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch all of the best picture winners that I have never seen. I'm a pretty big movie fan. And so, you know, I I watch all of the ones that get nominated every year now. But at 31 years old, there's a limit to how many movies from the 20s and 30s I have realistically made time to go back and rewatch. And so there's like uh, probably two thirds of the best picture winners that I've never seen. There's 95 winners so far. 
and I've seen, as of today, 36 of them. So I still have 59 more to catch up on. And so this week I started going back and working through some of the ones that I had never seen. Bef- sometime before the Oscars, we'll do a full episode where I, I rank all of the Best Picture winners and give you my thoughts on them, because I think that would be fun. But just kind of as a snapshot, I started at the beginning. I watched Wings, which is the first ever one. The only silent movie to ever win Best Picture. Pretty good. Like, it's not something you would ever sit down and just watch for entertainment now, but I can see the innovation and, like, what made it the first Best Picture winner. It's very, like, a Top Gun Maverick of its time. Then I watched The Broadway Melody, which a lot of people consider to be the worst Best Picture winner of all time. It was the second one. Oof. It, Michael, it was like a movie designed specifically to torture you. Like, if you had to sit and watch this movie, you would lose your mind. I thought the lead actress was very watchable, very entertaining, but the, the rest of it I, I did not care for. I watched The Artist, which I had never seen. Um, I liked the, the I liked it. It was okay. I thought the gimmick was fine. I did not think it was Best Picture worthy. And then I watched Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. Uh, I think that one actually held up better than some of the older movies, just because it's Shakespearean. It's not like you know, of its time. It's of a different time. And Laurence Olivier doing Shakespeare is pretty great. And Hamlet is my favorite of the Shakespeare stories. So that one I enjoyed. So I've got 59 more of these. Uh, I'm not looking forward to some of them. Uh, (laughs) It's it's going to be a lot. (laughs) But I probably should have seen every Best Picture winner. So I'll be updating you guys on that. And we'll do a full episode during oscar season on that but for now we're going to skip the news and we are going to jump into a double review and i'm going to give you my thoughts on godzilla minus one michael this is an incredible time to be a godzilla fan you've got the apple tv plus show monarch which i think is really fun i think kurt russell and and wyatt russell are really fun in it i think the budget for what it looks like for being a, a streaming show is crazy impressive i'm really enjoying that show The trailer just came out for the new Godzilla Kong movie that's going to be coming out in a couple months. That looks like a bunch of fun. And now we get this movie, Godzilla Minus One, coming from Toho Studios. You didn't get a chance to see it yet, so I'm just going to give you my thoughts. I'll keep it mostly spoiler-free just because you haven't seen it. Uh, But this is a movie that's doing surprisingly well at the box office right now and it seems like universally beloved like it seems like everyone that sees this movie thinks that that it's one of the best monster movies we've ever gotten and so i went into this with pretty high expectations and it's so fascinating because this is very clearly a non-american movie and anytime you see a non-american movie uh i'm always struck by just some of the subtle differences you know it doesn't necessarily adhere to the same hollywood structure and uh, i think this would be a very different movie if it had been made by an american studio or or in the hollywood studio system and so you know there's a little bit of a i'm coming at it from a different perspective that way in that you know i'm not an insider in the culture that it was made but i think even so I was really, really impressed by the ability of the filmmakers to take this icon and make a movie that speaks to the current and historical issues facing Japanese society, to make this as an indictment of the Japanese government and and all of that kind of stuff and really set this movie in post-World War II Japan and show the rebuild effort and how the citizens were feeling in that time. And I'm sure, you know, there there are echoes and parallels to today. And, And so I just found all of that incredibly fascinating. And I think that's what makes this movie successful is that you are riveted and compelled and entertained 
by the non-Godzilla stuff. This is always the hardest part in these movies to get right. Anytime you have, you know, King Kong or Godzilla or even, you know, like the Incredible Hulk, the problem is nothing can ever be as entertaining as that thing. And any second that the the creature's not on screen, you kind of feel like, well, I kind of want to see the the creature and i think this movie did a re- really effective job of making you care about the characters and the world and the society and the city and all of that beyond godzilla and so it, it's like kind of like this smaller drama about these people trying to rebuild their lives after nuclear war and then godzilla shows up and that is incredible because you already have this pretty high level drama and then you throw in Godzilla and you throw in some incredible Godzilla sequences. I, I really liked what they did with him in this. He kind of appears as more dinosaur-like in the beginning and then is kind of evolving throughout the movie. There's this great sequence out at, at the sea. The director said that uh, Jaws was one of his inspirations for this movie and you can definitely tell from this sea sequence. I, I thought that was really incredible. There's uh, some sequences where Godzilla attacks a city and that is like jaw-dropping and then of course you know the big climax has to be the people versus godzilla and i thought that too was uh, really really well done and the movie just looks phenomenal this movie again i don't know how this works with with international studios but the reported budget that i can find for this movie is 15 million dollars and that is just unfathomable to me (laughs) because it, it looks incredible godzilla looks amazing there's not one second of this that you're like oh they kind of cheaped out and that doesn't look so good not one second it it looks fantastic from start to finish you care about the characters you actually care who lives and who dies you actually want to see these these characters survive i love godzilla the character and i am always rooting for godzilla except in this movie this is the one movie where i was like ah, you know if they beat godzilla i wouldn't hate it because i i want the best for them there's some, you know, over-the-top moments. There's some melodrama that, that, you know, again, probably wouldn't be there if this was made under different circumstances. But you buy into it. You know, at the end of the day, it's a Godzilla movie. And so when, when someone points and goes, Godzilla's attacking, you know, it doesn't feel out of place. It feels within the, the genre of what this movie is and what you expected from it. And there's this, this twist at the end that is a little much, but you care so much about the characters that you're still just like, you know what, <laughs> this this shouldn't work, and I know intellectually that this is kind of a cheesy twist, but man, emotionally, I really, really am satisfied to see it play out this way. I think they do a good job of setting it within the specifics of its culture, and so there is this like relationship between the citizens and the government that is not the same relationship that you know we as Americans have, and so it, I was trying to play catch up a little bit because I don't know the history of Japan as well as I'm sure, you know, people who are are more familiar with the culture do. And so there's like this mistrust that they're playing on and it's up to the civilians to try to stop Godzilla, which, you know, every American Godzilla movie, it's like, okay, here comes the US military with their fighter jets and tanks and they're gonna, you know, take over now. (laughs) And so this was like uh, the director also cited Dunkirk as part of his inspiration. And there is a scene where it's a bunch of civilian boats coming out to fight Godzilla on the ocean. That was pretty cool and, and different than anything I've seen. I've never seen a city rise up against Godzilla and try to fight him. And I thought that was a, an interesting new take and, you know, inspirational to watch people come together like that. So that brings me to the end of my review. I'm going to grade this movie now. If it gets an A- minus or better, it goes on our honor roll. And if it gets below a C-, minus, then we put it on academic probation. Michael, this movie was 
awesome. <laughs> it was so much fun. I cared. I was emotionally invested. I had a blast. I loved seeing Godzilla on screen. I loved seeing when Godzilla wasn't on screen and we just got to watch these characters interact. This movie is one of my favorites of the year and I'm giving it an A- and putting it on our honor roll. Dang. All right, I got I definitely got to add it to my list of subtitled films. My list is short, but it's going to be on it. It's it's a pretty fun time for the constraints of being a big monster movie where you're going to watch a lizard destroy, you know, skyscrapers. It's about as well done as you can be. Now, we are going to get into a very different movie on the other side of the scale of cinema and what is possible. Uh we are going to be talking about the Netflix drama comedy. I don't know. I saw it in some places it classified no as a comedy and That's I did not think joke. this was a comedy. <laughs> no way. We are going to be talking about May, December. Michael, are you aware, or were you aware going into this movie, that the term May, December refers to a relationship with a significant age difference? I know, I had no idea. And it never came up in the movie. I was going to ask you, what the heck is that about? Yeah, I had to look that up. I don't even know if that's like a derogatory term or what, but <laughs> that is, uh, I guess, the explanation for the name. And then the, the director also said that, you know, because the movie revolves around graduations and stuff, that May is when the movie is set and that factors into it as well. This is a movie with a lot of very complicated ideas and themes and ones that I, I have seen strong reaction to in different ways. For me, I think the only non-controversial thing that you could say about this movie is that the acting is very strong. I think the performances are where to start in talking about this yeah. film. I think Charles Melton is great. He's getting a lot of awards buzz. I think Julianne Moore is is having fun like she's a little bit unhinged in her performance and she's doing you know kind of a bigger character than than what i was expecting in this but uh, i thought she was really good natalie portman i think her performance is very strong i think the movie doesn't always let you in as much as i i wanted it to like i don't feel like i got a great understanding of that character by the end of the movie i felt like we really understood julianne moore's character and i feel like we really understood charles melton's character I didn't feel like we really understood Natalie Portman's character fully, but I do think it was a strong performance. There's, you know, one scene where she gives a monologue, like basically directly to camera, and uh, that was an incredible performance. Uh, just, just start to finish, the acting in this movie was was very strong. The Charles Melton performance was one that I wouldn't be surprised if you hear a lot more about. Not, I mean, it was kind of different than a more stereotypical like, oh man, he deserves an Oscar because. You know, roles like Heath Ledger and yeah, it's a smaller Phoenix and you know, like the killer performances where there's a lot of dynamic range to it. There's a lot of emotion. There's not like that much going on. Like it's a much more subtle thing. But and it's something that I've never even really seen before and probably won't see again. But the way that he portrayed like an innocence that was never lost but was also taken into his adulthood and into fatherhood was really well done really really well done yeah i think he's very believable in the role and i also think he is really the only one that presents a likability like there's a part of you the whole movie that is just like get out of there like <laughs> i care about you and i want yeah. the best for you and like uh, my heart is breaking for this situation that you're in and this life that you're stuck in and and you just want better for him and I, I i think he's you know kind of the only character that you feel that way about it was kind of the, the whole movie was kind of unsettling like it, it wasn't really enjoyable at all 
the music was on the score was really unsettling i'm sure that was on purpose but like the best way i can describe the movie is just unsettling it was really unenjoyable i did not enjoy watching this and i was telling you kind of after i watched it i get like i think i get the fact that there's a lot of buzz in the industry about it and that there's a lot of potential oscar nominations coming for it like when i go back and i think about scenes individually I'm like, oh, wow, that was pretty well done. Like, that was a really interesting, unique way of storytelling. And, like, that was a unique way of giving us exposition, a unique way of, like, revealing a story to an audience. But while I was watching it, it sucked. Like, it it was not fun. And there was also nothing happening. Like, there was nothing suspenseful. There's nothing I'm waiting to see. It was just, I don't know. I did not enjoy it at all. But I get the buzz, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, the score, as you mentioned is very distinct and it's actually a reorchestration of a score from the 1971 movie the go-between which is about a younger boy who gets caught up as a messenger for two older people in a romance and so i'm sure there were thematic aspects of that movie that they saw connecting to this and so they took that music and kind of rearranged it and and used it for this film but yeah, the score definitely sticks out. And the whole thing kind of has a like very melodramatic feel to it. And I, I think that was intentional. I think the idea is that like this is one of those stories that's been played up in the tabloids and it's been turned into the you know lifetime TV movie of the week. And even the movie that she's working on feels very lifetime TV movie of the week. And so it, to me, a lot of the tone and vibe kind of was a play on that idea of like the over-the-top score and the over-the-top you know moments of it because they were working within this meta narrative of a tv movie i just have a really hard time when there's not even an attempt to create tension did i did maybe i missed it did you feel like there was anything at all i get that it's a style of movie maybe it's just not for me but when a like when i spend two hours doing something and there's no tension for me to stay engaged i just kind of check out i guess I think there was tension within the relationships. I think it was missing a narrative thrust. You know, I, I don't think this movie is structured in the traditional sense where you know what you're building towards, which is what I think you're identifying. Yeah. You know, it's not like the movie gives us a, a ticking clock towards this certain thing that's going to happen. You know, this is more of an indie structure. And, and uh, there were a lot of moments of tension between the characters. The scene where Julianne Moore showing Natalie Portman how she does her makeup felt very tense, where the whole, the entire scene, I was like, they're standing so close to each other. Like, what is going to happen in this scene? Yeah, like, true. I don't know what's going on here. There's a lot of tension in the relationship, obviously, between, you know, Charles Melton's character and, and Natalie Portman and the will they won't they and you pick up on oh I, I think she's trying to seduce him is that where the story is going you know I, I feel like there was some of that but yeah it was missing that narrative thrust and I do feel like the end result of that is a little unsatisfying it, it kind of feels like the story just ends and I think that's intentional I think the point of the movie is about the way the media exploits these people's lives and these stories like I think that's a big part of it you know Natalie Portman doesn't at the end of the day care about the people she just wants a good performance for her career and she blows into their life she upsets the apple cart she you know turns over a bunch of stones and causes all of this disruption within their relationships and then she's gone and doesn't care what happens to them and so i think the movie is trying to mirror that in what we the audience see like we want to know what is the fallout. We want to know what is the resolution within their marriage and, and family and relationship and all of that. But we don't get to see it because 
the movie is told through the perspective of Natalie Portman's character and, and the filmmaking effort, and the truth is she doesn't care about them. The whole butterfly thing was felt like like a freshman in high school script like all right all, all this other stuff is pretty high level but then you're gonna give us literally like like the most basic symbol i could think of i was very intrigued i thought this movie had a fascinating concept i thought the performances were very strong but ultimately it left me wanting a little bit more it felt like i didn't get the resolution that i wanted i felt like i never fully got the insight that I wanted from a film like this. And so, you know, I, I, I needed one or the other. I needed it to be deep and insightful and leave me thinking or give me a satisfying conclusion that makes me feel good. But, uh, but at the end, I felt confused mentally and emotionally by what had just happened. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. As I, as I kind of was forced to think more about it before we started filming this like i was saying like it it was really well done everything everything in the movie was really well done and if you're a big film lover like if you really are interested in filmmaking i think there are a lot of really innovative aspects to this but if you're a more casual movie fan like i don't think that this movie would appeal to most people and it has a really high rotten tomatoes which is surprising i can't imagine any of my friends recommending this movie to me or like just recommending this movie in general and again that's how it ends up with the high rotten tomato score is that only the people who know about this watch it and only the people who are interested enough to watch it would like it (laughs) and so that's how that works out but yeah i don't think this is a very accessible awards movie this isn't one when you know my mom is asking, hey, what should I watch this weekend? I'm not, I'm not going to point her in this direction. But if you're looking for some indie drama, maybe comedy? I don't. That's crazy. I still don't understand that. What? I don't think I laughed one time in this movie. I laughed. I get. I think I laughed when he was on the roof with his son. That was funny. That scene was really well done, too. Yeah. Like the scene where he's like, I don't know if I'm connecting with you or if I'm making a bad memory for you. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. And that really gave you like a good insight into it. His immaturity, like the way that he was acting was like a 12-year-old, like a 13-year-old kid would act. It is very impressive to be able to pull off immaturity without that being a bad thing. But I think that that is one of the things that this movie did well. So if you're looking for indie drama, if you're into this type of movie, if you like this style, I, I do think this movie will appeal to you. But if you are looking for something more mainstream, this is definitely not that. Michael, what would you grade may december it's really hard i feel like i almost want to give it two different grades one grade as an like objective film and one grade as my personal opinion but i'm not going to do that i'm just going to give it a i'm going to give it a b minus because it did a lot of really interesting things that like provoked a lot of thought in me and when i look back and think about it i can appreciate what was done but i just really did not enjoy this at all and i'm not going to give a, a great rating to a movie that i really like i could not I can't imagine ever sitting through that movie again. I do think the movie is better at asking questions than it is providing answers. Mm. And there's a space for that. I don't need every movie to hold my hand and give me the answers and say, here you go, I'm going to force feed this down your throat. Like, here's the the moral of the story. But it could have also been a more satisfying experience. So I loved the performances. The movie did stay with me. It's not something that, you know... I watched and then moved on immediately and forgot about. Yeah. I'm going to give it a B. And I would not be surprised to see some of these performances show up as we continue into award season. That brings us to the end of our review. Let's finish this episode. <laughs>
Thank you guys so much for joining us on another episode of the Film School Snob Podcast. I give you my thoughts on Godzilla. It is a great time to be a fan of Godzilla. There's a bunch of different projects involving the characters showing up. I didn't even mention the Justice League versus Godzilla, which is an ongoing comic book that uh, you might also be interested in if you are a fan of the character. But there's so much going on with him, and Godzilla Minus One might just be the best of them all. I had a really fun time with that movie and, and think it's really interesting to see a different perspective on a global icon, one that is you know, from a, a culture very different than my own. Michael and I also gave you our thoughts on May, December, a very thought-provoking Netflix drama that deals with some really heavy themes and concepts and does so with some really great performances, even if it left us wanting a little bit more by the end of the runtime. We are finally here. We've tried to escape it, but this week we are going to be talking about Timothy Chalamet's Wonka. Let's go. I have seen reviews where people think this is a new holiday classic, and I have seen reviews where people think that this is a one of the worst miscasts in Hollywood history. I am not excited for a Wonka prequel. It feels like a Mad Lib of, of like bad ideas, but here we are. I have no idea if it's going to be good or not. But uh, it, is, I, it looks like it will be undeniably interesting to talk about. So you're not going to want to miss that. We'll see you then.